Hey everybody, welcome back to another week of DQ with Damani. This is your host, the D-Man, D-Money, Damani Madeer. And yes, I am disappointed, pissed off, completely underwhelmed by the way things went between Alexander Usyk and Daniel Dubois. Because, bruh, how are you going to go out to a jab, firstly? And secondly... How was that body shot below the belt? Are we really going to start discussing all these fighters who show up to these fights with high belt lines, high-waisted, spaced shorts? When are we going to start discussing that? The answer is right now because it's extremely disrespectful to the sport when you have a guy like Daniel Dubois, a foreigner showing up to Poland, the exact same situation as Jermaine Franklin, the exact same situation that people would like Maxie Hughes to be in. It just keeps repeating itself over and over and over and over and over again. And I don't know when people are going to start understanding that we need to have serious checks and balances somehow in this sport for situations like that. We need a way to put checks and balances on the judges, and we need a way to put checks and balances on the fighters as well. And I don't understand what it's going to take until people realize exactly what I'm talking about when I mention that these guys are getting robbed. These guys are getting screwed by the sport that they love. And this is literally the first segment of this episode, and I'm talking like this. Usually you guys would expect me to wait a little while, get two, three, sometimes four to five segments into the episode, but I'm starting off fiery. I'm starting off on smoke because I'm really frustrated and tired of seeing this happen to guys, especially young guys. Daniel is 25 years old. People look at that guy and they're like, damn, bro. Well, how old is he? He's literally 25. Let's be real here. Let's be for real. A guy of that age taking a stupid loss like that, that's going to stick with him for a while. And I'm glad that Usyk is giving him an immediate rematch. Well, obviously, the sanctioning bodies don't want to see that. They would much rather see him unify and become undisputed. But the fact that he offered him a rematch, I do respect. But the way that he carried himself, saying that it was a low blow when it clearly was not, we know the anatomy of the human body. We know where Alexander Usyk's belly button starts and his torso pretty much ends and the bottom half of his body begins. Obviously, you know, I, you know, heavyweights are built a little taller. They're 6'3", 6'4", any, pretty much anywhere from 6'2", to 6'7", you'll see the average heavyweight. These guys could come from any number of of heights, but they are usually over 6'2", 6'2 and up. Usyk is breaking the standard by being a smaller heavyweight. But like I just said, we know his dimensions. And that was definitely not a low blow. I do not want you guys to sit here and think, oh man, Usyk, he took that nasty low blow. I hope he's okay. He ate that body shot and he folded. He was weak to the body against Anthony Joshua. Like I said on this show prior, he was weak to the body against Joshua. We know that Usyk can't take a real good body shot. So why are we expecting this situation to be any different? It really bothers me at how quick people will just jump to the conclusion. Oh, yes. Yes, it was a low blow. And I'm, I'm glad that right now I'm starting to see a lot of people from not just the UK, but other countries such as Spain, other countries such as France starting to speak up and say, yo, what? What the hell was that? 
What is this? Are we really just going to start pretending like these body shots are low blows? Really? This is what we're doing now? As usual, like I say, I'm going to keep it 100 on the DQ with Damani podcast. But I do apologize for those that were not expecting me to start this episode on smoke. Usually I'm not on that type of timing. That is not my energy. But I'm very passionate about this because this has been a repeating scenario. This has been something that's happened time and time and time again. And I come on the show and I say the exact same things. And people go in the comments and say the exact same things. And Cosmo texts me and says the exact same things. And it's really, really tiring. Especially with a sport as beautiful as boxing. We know that anything can happen. And not just boxing, but combat sports, period. That's the beauty of this sport. The beauty of combat sports as a whole is the unpredictability. You will have someone as powerful as Anthony Joshua going up against a guy as small as Alexander Usyk. And by some chance, Alexander Usyk wins. Not saying that he was lucky. I'm just putting it into perspective for you all. He is a very talented individual, and I don't want you all to think that he did not deserve the win against Anthony Joshua because he did. He boxed well. But... This is not a sport like basketball where you can count a short guy out, where you can count a guy with short arms out, where you can count a guy who doesn't necessarily have the longest legs out. This is boxing where anyone can be anything and anyone can become someone. But all of those dreams become absolutely worthless when you have situations like this happen. And I'm tired of seeing people's dreams get crushed. It really is disappointing to see. But once again... We do have to remind the officials. We do have to remind the professionals. We do have to remind the guys sitting in the broadcast chair that I one day hope to occupy that there need to be some sort of checks and balances on all of the individuals involved in making these events happen. Two weeks ago, we spoke on the doping situation with Alicia Baumgartner and how suspect it is. We just had another situation happen this week with Robert Hellenius. I want you to let that sink in. We just talked about Alicia Baumgartner two weeks ago, and we are now finding out about Robert Hellenius. So this is all being nicely wrapped and tucked all into one beautiful ball for you all to see. Something is wrong with the sport right now. And it only makes my point of there being checks and balances on everyone even stronger. Okay, so are the doping situation that we've dealt with time and time again in the Alexander situation related perfectly? No, but they are all a part of the growing number of issues that we are having with the sport. I do think that it's important that we acknowledge that we need to have some sort of reform and it needs to come soon because I don't know what people are going to what what it's going to take for people to understand just how serious all of these problems are. Why is it that when whenever there's a foreign fighter or whenever we've got a matchroom fighter, there's something strange happening, whether it's steroids, whether it's a strange decision, whether it's all just sus, it's all sus, it's all weird. I don't know what's going on, man. All, all the organizations, promotions, sanctioning bodies, judges, referees are just having issues right now. And I, I don't know what's going on because the UFC is having the same problem. PFL is having the same problem. Everywhere is having the exact same problem, regardless of whether or not 
It's boxing, whether or not it's MMA. Hell, rugby just had a situation like that happen a couple days ago. And I want you guys to just understand exactly what I'm talking about when I mention these specific circumstances in which these people are mysteriously failing tests. These guys are mysteriously ending up with adverse findings in their blood or their urine. Just this past June, we had Adam Babyface Kovnowski, all of my Polish... Come on, y'all already know I got mad love for the Polish community. Y'all know I've been cooking with y'all for a minute. Y'all know we've been playing footy, kicking balls around together for a minute. Yeah, man, me and the Polacks, we go way back. But disappointingly, your man's got cheated. So Adam Kovnowski had a fight on the undercard of Jason Quigley and Edgar Berlanga. That fight happened under Matrim DeZone. His opponent, Joku Sumano, just tested positive for a banned performance-enhancing drug. I don't know when these people are going to get it. Just as we're talking about a doping situation for the third week in a row, mind you, the third week in a row that someone has tested positive for a performance enhancing drug under Madrum slash DAZN, we are receiving the news as I am discussing it. It makes no sense. And to this day, people will still look at me and other people in the face, other athletes in the face and say, oh, man, well, I still don't understand. I don't get it. The casual fan will never understand because the casual fan is only interested in when they come on screen. They don't care about what happens behind the scenes. Whatever happens behind the scenes at that point is up to whoever is in control. The average person does not care. And we have to find a way to bridge the gap between people like myself, even non-athletes, people who are just interested in the sport at a level that shows that they care. They care enough to say something. We need to bridge the gap between those two groups of people because if we're able to get everyone on the same page, we could definitely force a change. We know that we could force a change. And to this day, we still have no answers on anything Alicia Baumgartner related. So this just proves my point even further. Getting everyone on the same page, forcing those checks and balances to come into play. Speaking up and not being silent about this, this recent trend, will definitely help. Being silent is hurting. Oh yeah, I know y'all been waiting a minute for me to get to this one. Shakur, the people's champ, Stevenson and Frank Go Smart and have agreed to fight one another in a massive clash for the vacant WBC lightweight championship. Yes, I said vacant WBC lightweight championship. In a shocking move, the WBC has named Devin Haney, the undisputed WBC, WBO, WBA, IBF, 135-pound champion, champion in recess yes this has given Shakur and the ghost Frank Martin the opportunity of a lifetime snatching up the premier belt of the weight class puts champions such as Tank Davis on notice yes we all know Tank got that WBA belt still so this is definitely sending a message to Tank you and your belt are not safe I recall telling y'all heads on the show that 135 will be freeing up very soon and that people such as Shakur, people such as Tank, and people at 140 and 168 stuck in the mud could possibly make it out. This is their way out. 
This situation exactly is their way out. And this situation is an example of how to handle a difficult belt situation in a tight weight class. It's clear that the WBC and other sanctioning bodies want the winner of this fight to take on Devin Haney, or they are banking on Haney fully vacating and creating a massive power vacuum in the division, similar to what Triple G did at 160. If you recall, I did speak about it on the show, Triple G vacated almost every single belt he had down to the very last one, held on to his WBA belt for a long time, finally said, you know what, I give up. Lada, you can have it. And that created the situation that we're in right now at 160 pounds. So these people are expecting Haney to do the same thing. All right, you're going to move up and take on Regis Probery. But if you're going to do that, vacate all the belts so that the division can keep moving forward. Make sure that people are not stuck because we are having this situation happen division after division after division where people do not necessarily have the same opportunities as other people because their division is so slow. If we had this situation happen at heavyweight a long time ago, I promise you all, we would not be in the current situation that we are in right now where we're stuck with a guy who has four belts on one side of the street Another guy has one belt on the other side of the street, and he's definitely not interested in unifying and becoming undisputed. We definitely could have had this a long time ago, or they could have forced him to vacate. But I say less. That's more of a political conversation, and I'm not here to talk politics. I'm here to talk about Shakur Stevenson and Frank Martin making this division move forward. Freeing up belts pits promoters and fighters against one another in an all-out war for gold. Big power players such as Top Rank and PBC will want to snatch the belts at 135 up to create a monopoly, especially for upcoming prospects like Keyshawn Davis, who will benefit heavily from having those belts underneath his stable. Chris Eubank Jr. has successfully shocked the world. No one saw the spectacular finish coming. The arena in Manchester was livid when they saw Liam Smith go down not once, not twice, but three times on the night. It was every pure boxing fan's dream come true when Eubank looked into the camera after knocking Liam Smith silly. That boy needed a map. He was lost. Gives that guy a map. He could not find himself in the right direction no matter which way he looked. That boy was on chicken legs. Oh my God. Get him a GPS, please. The end of the story between Eubank and Smith has not been reached yet, however, despite the way that I'm talking. It's important to remember how monumental of a rivalry this is and how important it is to watch fights and preparation back after the fact. In the first fight, Eubank went down due to an illegal elbow and received one of the most embarrassing losses of his life. In the second fight on Saturday, Eubank triumphantly returned to the good graces of British boxing by knocking out his biggest obstacle aside from Conor Ben. Eubank would not have been able to rise to the occasion if it were not for Smith consistently applying pressure in public. Threatening Eubank's reputation is obviously a mental tactic. Let's not pretend that it isn't. But Eubank did not let it deter him. Instead, he proved to the world that he is more than capable of outclassing and competing with the elite competition. Yes, elite between 147 and 168. I would like to touch bases with you all once again on how much Eubank has changed between the first fight between himself and Smith and now. 
the broadcast team exclaimed a multitude of times just how different Smith looked, how different Eubank looked. And I would like to just settle this right now. The reason that he looked so different was because of the personnel change. These guys could not believe how drastically different Eubank's defensive and offensive prowess appeared to be inside the ring. I wasn't shocked. Mostly due in part to Eubank's switch, like I just said, from the legendary four-division world champion, arguably one of the GOATs on, on everybody's Mount Rushmore, Roy Jones Jr. to Brian Bo Mack McIntyre. With Jones's help, Eubank was more prone to pop shotting, which could be good in a variety of situations, but terrible against someone with high output, such as Liam Smith. Roy Jones Jr. is a great coach. Do not get me wrong. He did great work with Jared Anderson as well. But it's a continued trend where when he gets his hands on a fighter, he tries to mold them exactly as if they are fighting as him. That, that fighter pretty much becomes Roy Jones Jr. And the exact situations that have gotten Roy Jones Jr. knocked out in the past have ended up repeating themselves against the people that he has coached. The major example right now being Chris Eubank Jr. Although there was an illegal elbow involved, he still did get hurt badly against Liam Smith. So let's discuss that. The left hand. I don't know why I, I, I keep saying it, but it's one of those things that we just keep circling back to on the DQ with Damani podcast. Whether it's guys not level changing properly when they know a guy is coming in to shoot, a guy getting his rear hand up when a guy is going to shoot an overhand. There are just some things that guys repeatedly make mistakes on and they repeatedly get hurt or get knocked out by. And for Roy Jones Jr., it's his left hand. His left hand is so absurdly low that it's almost disrespectful to his opponent. And I see why a lot of people were frustrated with Eubank when he kept him as his coach after the first time. People were so confused. They were pretty much pointing that out repeatedly. Left hand, left hand. When you throw the jab, stop admiring your work. Bring your left hand back up. And Chris wasn't getting it. Roy Jones Jr. is... A great coach once again. I don't want you guys <laughs> to think that he's a bad coach. He has no idea what he's talking about when he's coaching people because he does. He has excellent ring IQ. But once again, I have to repeat myself on this. He takes his fighters and he molds them exactly as if they were Roy himself. He tries to make them impersonators of his style. And it doesn't really work out because Roy Jones Jr. style works for Roy Jones Jr. Mike Tyson's style works for Mike Tyson. Anthony Joshua's style works for Anthony Joshua. All of these styles who were developed by these fighters work for them specifically. These styles are not meant to be copied by other people because your height and your reach might heavily affect how well or how terrible that fight is going to go for you if you use that specific style. The Philly shell is one example. Why are you using the Philly shell if you're not the perfect dimensions for it? It's not going to work. If you have a shoulder that has no rotation, you know your shoulder, you can't flick that shoulder, you're going to eat a jab.
If you know that you have absolutely zero shoulder mobility, why are you using the Philly show? Why are you trying to shoulder roll? You are not Floyd Mayweather. You are certainly not Muhammad Ali. So I don't know why you are trying to rope-a-dope, shoulder roll, parry rear hand like you can actually do it. You do not have the dimensions. You do not have the flexibility and movement to be pulling it off. So why are you doing it? If you're not Roy Jones Jr., why are you keeping your left hand low like you can throw a jab from any angle? You know you can't do it. You're not that kind of fighter. Be yourself. I think that some of Eubank's best work of the night came from his right hand. And Danny Swift Garcia is very, very, very amazing at this technique. He is able to throw a straight body shot and uppercut all with his rear hand. And let me tell you, Eubank was destroying Liam Smith with that exact same combination. There were points at which Eubank was on the front foot, Smith was on the back foot, he backed into the corner, backed into the ropes, and sometimes even when he was in the mid of the space, smack dab in the middle, when you're at mid-ring, there is absolutely no reason why you should be letting a guy like that, like him specifically, with his height and reach dimensions, Land those shots on you like that. You got to close distance. And Liam Smith could not do that. He had no response. He had absolutely no answer to the swarm of punches that were coming from a singular hand. One hand. This wasn't a full combination from both of Eubanks' hands. This was just his right hand going, you know what? I might just make a couple more extra appearances today. I might just land a couple, a, a little cheeky left here. A little cheeky right. Wait, wait, wait. A left? You thought I was going to throw another left? Ha, gotcha. Right hand's coming right back. And that's exactly what Smith was looking for. He kept looking for that left. He's thinking, when is this man going to throw it? Why is this man spamming the right hand? And why is this happening to me no matter where I go in the ring? He's he's completely wrecking me on the perimeter. He's completely wrecking me at mid-ring. What am I going to do? And his corner kept trying to give him instructions, but for some reason, Liam Smith was not able to download the data. He was not able to fully access the situational awareness that he and his brothers are known for. The Smith brothers are all known for this. They're absolutely cerebral when it comes to their in-ring technical work. Their in-ring technical work and their ring IQ is absolutely unmatched. And I just don't understand why Smith was in that headspace. Why was he unable to fully process that? There is absolutely no reason why he stood there and just allowed that to happen to him. And I know that a lot of people are going to say, oh, man, you never know until you're in that situation. But I'm sure that many people listening to the show who have been in the exact situation as Liam Smith have opened their ears to their corner and tried their absolute best to say, you know what? Regardless of how many shots that I'm taking right now, regardless of how tight or how loose my guard is and this guy is still getting through, I am going to go out listening to my corner. And Liam Smith couldn't even do that. I also don't want you guys to think that I'm just harking on Liam Smith. I'm a Liam Smith hater because I'm not. I'm not in any shape or form a hater of Liam Smith. I love the Smith brothers. I absolutely respect the Smith brothers. I am 100,000% appreciative 
of what they do for children with autism, the way that they are very outspoken about their community. I am extremely appreciative of what they do for the people of their city, the people of their country overall, and what they represent in boxing. But that does not mean that he is exempt from criticism. Every fighter knows that when you're in a tough spot, you're relying too much on your own mind and your own IQ. Your corner is the people you fall back on. Your corner is always going to lead you in the right direction if they are good. I had to make that statement. If they are good, because if you have a bad coach, you have a bad corner, they're not going to lead you in the right direction at all. I've seen that happen before. Guys have gotten knocked out because they've taken the wrong direction because their coach wasn't obviously was not in the right headspace, such as my man's taking the level change against Demetrius. Calling for the level change against Boo Boo Andrade. I believe that was Jason Quigley. Yes, it was Jason Quigley. I could not believe it. I'm sitting there. I'm like, bro, you you, you really just going to let your mans just get knocked out like that? You going to tell them to change levels and, and, and eat a shot? Really? A free shot from Boo Boo Andrade? But that, that's another story for another time. There's an analysis video up on my website live right now about that fight specifically. But why are we experiencing this in this day and age i think that the situation is extremely dependent on whether or not your fighter is able to listen to you effectively if you know that your fighter is the type to get in their own mind and start to really focus more on themselves and what their mind is telling them to do how their brain is telling them to, to respond in a specific situation in the ring or cage it, it happens to a lot of people. A lot of people get lost in their own head. So it's important, very, very important that you keep your ears open to your corner. Your corner and coaches are good. These guys are not a bunch of Instagram posers and people who aren't even real coaches, which we've had a lot of, by the way. Make sure that these are good people and continue to listen to these guys, because I promise you, like I've said a multitude of times in this section of the episode already. Your corner is never going to lead you in the wrong direction. They are there for a reason. Rely on them. So now that I'm done talking about Liam Smith, once again, I am not a Liam Smith hater. Please do not run up in my comments giving me that energy because I am not. We can talk about the impressive work of Chris Eubank Jr. next gen once again. I am just really happy to talk about this because, oh my goodness. It was, it was watching magic happen in that boxing ring. I don't know what happened. It's like the spirits of all of the goats who have passed away came down and said, you know what, Chris, we're going to give you our power. We're going to give you the power to conquer this dude because we saw the way that you got knocked out the last fight and we don't want you to go out the same way. Of course, I'm joking, but still it was extremely impressive and i don't want you guys to forget this please do not forget this performance i hope that you do not forget this performance because there are a lot of people who watch chris eubank fights and as soon as something happens involving chris eubank oh man he's trash he thinks he won a world championship just because he won the ibo belt which is still a real championship yes i'm saying this again on my show we are keeping it 100 under dq with the money podcast i'm never going to lie to y'all that john is real but i digress chris eubank deserves respect 
Chris Eubank deserves coverage and Chris Eubank most certainly deserves your support. So let's get deep into it. The footwork, firstly, I already spoke on how impressive setting up that right hand was throwing it out in a multitude of ways, several combinations with the same hand. I already used Danny Swift Garcia as an example, but I just have to stress the footwork is what gave him the absolute clear. Yes, absolute clear, because you can see an opening and it may not be exactly what it seems. It may be a little bit too good to be true and you eat a counter, you end up being hurt. So you need a clear opening. And that is exactly what Chris Eubanks footwork gave him a clear opening. Now, every single time, if you notice, Eubank would come forward, he would use his lead foot to set up his left hand. His lead foot and his lead hand worked in tandem almost the entire fight. And I feel like that's a very underrated tactic that a lot of people don't really talk about anymore. It's usually one of the most basic things that your coach will teach you, moving around with your lead foot and using your lead foot to set up your lead hand. However, even the basics sometimes are the most underrated things that end up going into the sweet science. A lot of it is basics. There are fighters like Chris Eubank. There are fighters like even Devin Haney, who people are really frustrated with right now. Regardless of that, these guys have mastered the basics. They've taken the basics and they've honed them to a point at which you're gonna need to really train and find a way to get past that. The most basic punches end up being the punches that are the absolute most devastating. I promise you. Same thing with Terrence Crawford. People are like, wait, that, that, that's just a normal look. That's just a normal body shot. There's nothing special about that. There is a lot special about it. He has trained that over and over and over. When you focus on the basics so much that it becomes muscle memory, that's when you have a truly dangerous fighter. I promise you, just watch Terrence Crawford's fights back and you will see exactly what I am talking about especially his most recent knockout prior to Errol Spence Jr. These people were like, wait, Avenician got knocked out like that to that shot? He absolutely did. Because that man, Terrence Crawford, is a master of the basics. He uses his footwork. He uses his lead hand like I just said about Eubank. And he sets these shots up. There will be an analysis video up this week showcasing exactly what I am talking about. So please make sure you read this week's blog. Please make sure you check the website for these updates because there are going to be a lot of gems like this pinpointing exactly how these knockouts are created. We've got one final thing to get to this week. You guys have asked. You have been waiting patiently and now it's your time. Next week's episode will be fully dedicated to it, but I do just want to discuss it real fast. Just squeeze it in right here at the end of this week. Canelo versus Charlo. Undisputed versus undisputed. The very first time ever this is going to happen in the sport of boxing. We have an undisputed champion two weight classes below and we have the undisputed champion two weight classes ahead clashing against one another in a swarm of belts a swarm of sanctioning bodies and millions upon millions of dollars at stake so firstly 
Canelo's size and Jermel Charlo's size. Yes, Jermel, not Jermel. Everyone was fooled. Yes, 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 yes. We did discuss that on the show. Everyone thought it was Jermel, the brother at 160 with the WBC belt, which people are still not really happy about. Another story for another time once again. But Jermel's dimensions versus Canelo's dimensions. Jermel is the smaller man at 154, but he is the taller man. As far as actual mass goes, I do think Canelo is a little bigger. He might be a short dude, but short guys are typically wider. They have a much, much larger frame as far as volume goes. These guys are thick. They're definitely going to take a lot more punches to hurt. Pause. Major pause. But yes, Canelo is a bit of a big boy, especially at 168. He's starting to outgrow the weight class now because the dude's 33 years old. A lot of these people are thinking that these guys are going to be able to make that weight at an advanced stage. It's really tough to cut weight when you're an older guy. Your testosterone might still be bussing, but it is a lot more difficult to shed weight when you are older. That's a fact. That's across men. That's across women. Both genders. We know that for a fact. Once you start aging, that weight is not going to go away as easier as it would have when you were in your 20s. Even when you were a teenager, cutting weight was probably a lot easier. But now when you drink water, when you eat food, that fat tends to stay on your body a whole lot longer. And of course, keeping that in mind, Canelo is not going to be 160 pounds on the night. That dude's going to be somewhere in the 170s. Definitely mid to high 170s, for sure. We know that for a fact. Canelo is not the type of guy to show up and be like, you know what, I'm just going to stay at 168 on target. Fight night, that's it. No rehydration. That man is going to balloon. We know that for a fact. And Charlo, we are not entirely sure what his rehydration weight will most likely be. I can imagine it will be somewhere in the high 160s. He's probably going to push to into the lower 170s range, I predict. And for his best interest and for his own safety, I do hope that that's the weight that he's pushing for. Because you do not want to be in there giving up at least 10, 15, 20 pounds of weight against a guy who's shorter than you. Because he's going to be thudding those body shots. Which brings me to strategy. Of course, we know Canelo. He loves the arm punches. He loves the left hook to the body, loves that right hook, right uppercut combination. Let's see if he can land it on someone with superior footwork and head movement as Jermel Charlo. This is exactly why this fight is interesting. Canelo with the Mexican style, the aggressiveness, the need to push forward, the continuous beating of the guard against someone who has exceptional footwork and head movement. This guy is the epitome of American boxing style. Jermel Charlo is that guy. We have examples such as Terrence Crawford, the epitome of American boxing style. This is exactly what you look at when you talk about American boxing. How is that going to stack up against the Mexican style? That is the ultimate question that we will have answered come September 30th. Next week, Please stay tuned. We are going to have the entire episode dedicated to just that. Of course, we are going to focus on news articles of the week. But 
that episode is going to be focused on a full extended preview and analysis of the fight as well as who i think you should be putting your money on all right everybody thank you very much as always yes 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 for choosing this podcast as your weekly source of boxing wrestling mma combat sports lifestyle news and analysis i am your host with the most knowledge with the most skill Nah, I'm capping a little bit. I'm capping a little bit. You know, y'all know I gotta gas myself up on this one. Damani, Dimani, Le Tigre, Adir, and I am excited as always. Every week, you guys know I'm always gonna say that I'm excited for the coming event, but I am very, very happy that PBC was able to sign this deal and get this fight going. I am so excited to get to recording this content for you guys because this is a fight that I'm very passionate about. Very, very passionate about. And I'm sure you guys can tell from the level of volume that I'm putting out in my voice and the way that I am just expressing myself. When I talk about this fight, this gives me an energy that I haven't had with other fights of the year. And I'm sure that you guys felt the exact same way when I was talking about Tank and Ryan, because that is the exact same energy that I had. So I am very grateful to you guys that you guys keep coming back. You guys keep feasting on this like a Gordon Ramsay meal. Yes, Hell's Kitchen, y'all are feasting. Because I am more than happy to come back into the chair every single week and talk about the beautiful, 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 you guys know I got to say it three times for the emphasis world of combat sports if you're going out this weekend please be safe do not drink and drive make sure you have a designated driver if you do drink and don't drive watch your cup please be safe make sure all your friends are accounted for everyone please 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 keep your eyes on the screens this saturday we have chris and billy yes my french brother Going up against Damon Nicholson, who just recently took on our boy Demetrius Bubu Andrade in a WBC Continental Americas Super Middleweight Championship clash on the undercard of Steve Claggett and Carlos Sanchez out of Canada that is taking place this Friday, September 8th at the La Limi Casino in Gatineau. All right, everybody, that just about does it for this week. Everyone. Please be safe out there, and God 